Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. everyone. I just wanted to quickly jump in here and mention that there is a way for you to support me keeping this podcast and all my other free resources going by donating a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash sassy sober mum. Helping people is a huge passion project for me And as my audience grows, I'm understandably spending more time helping people, replying to messages, creating and updating content and building this podcast. All donations are gratefully received and they really go a long way towards covering costs like my Zoom license, my hosting fees, managing my website and not to mention my time. So... If any of you are loving the continued content and wish to support me, please feel free to buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash sassysobermum. Or you can click the link in the bio section of my Insta page and find a button there to buy me a coffee. Thank you. And now let's get stuck into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I am super excited to introduce Patrick from Watford, which is just outside London, for those of you that are not in the UK. He's been sober for just over three and a half years, or 1,329 days to be precise. Uh, Patrick is already quite well known in the sober sphere. Um, He is the host of a fabulous podcast called the Alcohol Rethink Podcast, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, And he's also a men's life coach. And he has, uh, he specializes in focusing on alcohol and sobriety. Um, so thank you so much, Patrick. I know you're very busy, uh, so I'm delighted to get you onto the podcast for a quick hour. So thank you. Oh, my absolute pleasure. And I'm never too busy to share some sober stories. It's something I'm very passionate about. So I'm delighted to be here. Thank you, Terry. Ah, oh, I'm the same. I could talk about sobriety all day. <laughs> which, right, yeah. <laughs> which is which is good for sober people, but you know, it's probably sometimes a bit boring for my husband. Um Awesome. So let's get to know you a little bit. Please tell us a bit about who you are. Who am I? How would I define myself? <laughs> uh, so I'm a man, obviously. I'm a dad. I've got two children, one who's 14, one who's five. So I've got the best of both worlds in terms of child development. So it's always fun and keeps me learning. And I think our children are our greatest teachers for sure. And actually, like, they are the reason why or like one of the biggest reasons why I actually chose to stop drinking as well so I live in Watford as you said which is famous for Harry Potter Studios Elton John and now myself (laughs) and I just love talking about stopping drinking I love learning about stopping drinking not just about stopping drinking but I love learning about the brain I love learning about why do we do what we do right it's just so fascinating and seemingly endless so yeah, I've got a lot of lot of passions. Coaching, definitely one of them. Football, keeping fit and healthy. And again, right, like all of those things were important to me, even but when I was drinking. But drinking was keeping me out of alignment with them. And it's been like since stopping and really identifying truly what is important to me that I've been able to make more conscious choices. Yeah. Yeah, I I love that. I I love it's I find it really strange that I didn't really start to get to know who I was <laughs> until I was 41 and what I really like in life, but you know, at least I know, right? I, I, yeah. And what you thought you liked. So yes. I thought I, you know, like I would go to the football, but it was never about the football. It was about mm. going and getting pissed with all of the guys and stuff, like and I'd rarely make it out for the second half. 
Yeah. So, except now I go and now my daughter's got a season ticket with me and it's a, it's a very different experience. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I bet. Um, so talk to me about your life with alcohol. What did that look like? Fun, messy, <laughs> like <laughs> everything in between. You know, it, it, it started at a very young age. I think I was probably about 14 or 15, started drinking. I think for me, actually, like it was smoking weed was the first thing that I did. And that's the gateway, right? Like, quote, mm. unquote, except it's not. But then it was like drinking and then it led to like, a lot of drug use as well, like in my late teens and early 20s and stuff. And I used it. I realized now as a, a way to kind of like manage my social anxieties. Like I was I wanted to be liked. Right. Like that's one of the reasons I first started drinking. I wanted to be accepted by the the cool group if you like which really mm. they weren't cool they were like the troublemakers <laughs> in a sense <laughs> and I remember going down the park that first time and drinking like a two litre bottle of white lightning or whatever oh. it is like absolutely vile making a prat of myself like I remember someone wanted to have a fight with me because I was being annoying yeah I thought I was being like entertaining and all the things right yeah and actually I got in the car that night and my mum obviously smelled the alcohol on me and <laughs> the next day I remember going in the room and like bleeding like please please I just want to be liked by people and and you know and I think that's what happens and what I see a lot is like we 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 drink because we want to like fit in there's mm. this desire to want to fit in and that's what I was doing because I wasn't overly confident I I, I now realized like I had a very low sense of self-worth and how yeah. I saw myself but then when I drank, of course, like I became the funny guy, I became more chatty, I, you know, like I was more able to approach conversations with girls, especially like when I was younger or whatever. So it, it, that's how it started. And then it was like going out and partying all of the time. But then over the years, like, you know, every party just blends into another party by the end of it and mm. I was really just going through the motions with it all like I wasn't necessarily enjoying myself anymore it was just what I did just yeah. something that I was doing and it, <clears throat> I kind of like went out well maybe this perhaps is leading into the, the next question right like of, of why it became problematic for me is that is I wanted to stop drinking like I'd kept trying to stop and I was not very honest with myself about why I wanted to stop so I mentioned earlier about health right like I I've always generally always had an uh want to be quite healthy like to look after myself and when I'm drinking alcohol of course like that's the opposite of what happens because you know, mm -hmm. you're drinking your food choices become poorer like your lack of motivation like you're not exercising and all the stuff so I noticed that was happening so I would use going and doing running events or you know like a 10k or a 5k like I'd use them as a pretense like oh I'm not going to I'm not going to drink because then I want to be able to run better so there was an element of truth to it but what I discovered like underneath all of that is it it really wasn't just about that it was like I really wanted to like break away from drinking alcohol because I knew it wasn't benefiting me like I knew it was affecting my weight mm. and my energy levels and you know, I, I had this kind of view of myself as being like a dynamic drifter. Like I did, I've done so many different jobs over the years, never really put a, like a, a ton of effort into any of them. Like I remember I worked in the city for a bank and I was scanning paper for two years, like, because I was more interested in going out and getting pissed every weekend and I was motivated to actually try and, you know, increase my career, for example. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think it's it's funny when you say that because there's there's definitely for me in that decade of the twenties, I was quite similar. I had quite sort of reasonably good jobs. I was always very good at talking my way into a job, um, because I actually you know was quite confident and kind of yeah probably quite bubbly personality, um, but. I just, I never pushed myself. I was just so in that sort of rat race of going to work. And I used to smoke a lot of weed actually in my mid twenties. And, you know, we'd just come home and there would be a group of us and we'd go and play Frisbee in the park and smoke weed. And 
and you know drink you know binge drink at weekends and I I, rem- I remember there was this one time I went into work and I just felt so fuzzy and I just thought to myself like what what am I doing <laughs> like why am I doing this every single day this is not really living but yet still being trapped in that for probably a good two years um, before I went traveling and then everything went all a bit mental anyway because uh, you drink so much when you go abroad but it's almost like you have these flashes, don't you, throughout your drinking career where you it's almost like deep down you know that it's not very good for you, but you just you still stay there for five more years or ten more years. And but I just find that quite quite crazy, really. Um well, it is crazy because like you're drinking to escape your life, but when you're drinking to escape your life, like you're moving away from having any kind of authority and changing it or doing something about it for yourself, right? <laughs> Like it's so fucked up because I I I would I was doing that scanning job and I'd come in pissed or stoned sometimes and like I'd go and sleep in the filing room and stuff like oh, or, or, or one of the things I used to do is go to the toilet and fall asleep like every most lunch times I would go have to go to the toilet and like have a fifteen minute snooze in there and stuff wow. <laughs> it's just yeah. like absolutely bonkers right <laughs> um, yeah so. Things like yeah. that. I guess they were like the the early warning signs for me. Um, yeah. But yeah. And and also as well, um, you know, touching on that um point about the low self-esteem thing. Um, I, I definitely suffered from low self-esteem, e- even from a, a young person, you know, had challenges growing up. I think a lot, you know, a lot of people do. And I had challenges and um, I had a, a parent that drank a lot. And I think that I suffered a bit growing up through that because I couldn't really understand the world around me. And I took the blame, I think, for a long time. I felt like a lot of things were my fault when I realized now that's absolute rubbish. I was just a child. Of course, they're not my fault. But you, then you grow up with that low self-esteem and that low confidence in yourself. And I'm I'm noticing even on my feed when people message me that that is a, a big part of people's drinking. Are you finding that when you're working with people? Is that the sort of route to a lot of people's drinking? Yeah, I think that definitely is is a massive part of it. I think another thing is like, who am I if I don't drink alcohol anymore? Because cause we do, well, especially in the UK, right? Like, I know it's a bit of a generalization, but we tend to start a lot younger yeah. in terms of drinking compared to like the US, for example, because their age limit is 21. Yeah. So we we start a little bit younger. And so what, what it starts out as is probably self-esteem and wanting to fit in, but then also like getting that buzz from drinking and whatever else you're up to as well. But then like over the years, like it, it starts becoming part of your identity. Like this is who I am. This is what I do. This is where I go. This is how I cope. Right. And I think that's mm. one of the biggest things that I notice is like guys in terms of thinking that they need to drink in order to really, leave stress or to to cope with the kids or you know like whatever the reason is is I think that that ingrained belief that alcohol and we see it in everything right like celebrate commiserate all the things but yeah like using it as a way to navigate life effectively yeah yeah you talk about that quite a bit in your podcast don't you um the belief system and yeah it's it's really inspiring um some of the stuff that I've listened to has, has even made me think three, three and a half years in, and it, it's, yeah, re- really good. Um, so let's talk about uh, when it be- started to become problematic. Obviously, you had little pokes, you know, that uh, were like kind of the warning signs, but what actually made you stop? Yeah, it's, it's such a great question because it wasn't anything that, you know, like we talk about rock bottoms, right? Like, or, or this is often the perception is like something really fucking bad needs to have happened in order for you to stop drinking. Except like you might look back and loads of stuff like that's happened, but you might still find yourself drinking. But for me, there was, there was one particular moment that I had a, it was in December, right? Like I had a re- December, I was like renowned or my identity was like just to get messed up and just to mm. drink for as much as the month as possible and because I was in like a position where it was December was like quite slow in the work that I did it gave me even more of an excuse to do it because I wasn't like accountable in my in my in my weekly job and that 
particular December, like it started on the end, last day of November. I had a work Christmas party, so we did that work Christmas party. Got like utterly drunk, got home and like was doing coke and and fell asleep and woke up with it on top of me and stuff. Then I, that morning I went to the football uh, and I was in the toilet doing coke at half ten on the train up to Leicester to go and watch a football game. And I just remember like the paranoia I had all day as I was I was just going through my day and stuff. And then, like, that continued through the month, right? Like, there was a few other instances, like, you know, as you said, binge mentality, like, on the weekends, yeah. just getting absolutely plastered. Yeah. I had a conversation with my friend in between that time, and he recommended reading This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. Uh, and nothing like that was on my periphery whatsoever. Right? Like, I had no idea that all of this stuff was going on. Like, I'd heard of Alan Carr, but in terms of smoking, that was it. And then I started reading that book and like I started finding out about alcohol, like facts of alcohol and stuff like that. But then I was still drinking. Yeah. And then uh, we got a new puppy a few days before Christmas. Uh, And then Christmas Day, we didn't, I didn't, I drove to the event that we, like Christmas Day where we went to because we had the little puppy and stuff like that. And I remember having like one or two beers. And then the next day was Boxing Day and there was a local game on Watford and I had a lot of catching up to do, right? <laughs> so I went to the game. I got very drunk. Uh, we won the game. So that when oh, we win, like you celebrate yeah. even more. And I remember yeah. we went back to the pub afterwards. And I sat on the table with like me and three other guys. And I, I had this feeling like when, after I had like four or five beers or whatever, like, I, I wanted to get coke because I wanted to like keep on drinking. Yeah. And I remember like, this is on Boxing Day, right? Like everyone mm. generally is at home with their families or doing something like that. And then the pub, phoning all these numbers in my phone book i was asking people in the pub i my phone was dying so i had to go and buy a charger i was getting really anxious about that in case somebody phoned me back and then the charger didn't work and like this all oh, of this stuff was no. happening right and one guy said he was going to come and meet me and, and thankfully he, he didn't and i didn't get anything that night and I, it was like a sliding doors moment for me because then the next morning i woke up on the sofa right which is what i would usually do when I was drunk because I would be snoring and all sorts. So <laughs> that was like my little place to go. Uh, and I woke up and I just, I was just so ashamed of what I was doing the night before. Cause I had a new puppy at home. I had like a one-year-old baby. Like I was thinking about all of my other family members and stuff. And my partner walked in the door and I, I was just like, I, I cannot do this anymore. Like I'm so fed up of doing this for myself. Like I've just had enough. And that was it. So, you know, one year, no beer. Yeah. I, 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 I use their philosophy and I love it because I think it's so important because like when we think like, oh, I'm never going to have something again, like it creates a lot of deprivation and our brains are very clever. They find ways to, to overcome that and it ends up in binging more often than not. So I said to myself, like, I'm just going to do one year, no beer. Yeah. And that was that. So oh, it wasn't wow. something super significant it wasn't something that was new that hadn't happened before yeah but the 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 build-up how I was feeling what I'd started reading like had all started to kind of like filter through for myself yeah uh, to a point like where I was ready to make that the decision but with the commitment behind it yeah I, I totally relate to that um yeah and it made me shudder a bit to be honest listening to that because um yeah I I definitely had nights where you know you take coke to keep the party going and it's such a prevalent drug as well you know it's like people can just drop it or people drop it off on mopeds in the bar you're at I mean it's ridiculous and it's it's just it's scary and um to be honest I think when you get to that four or five drink mark, it is like a switch goes on, isn't it? It's like, well, I need that thing now. Um, and there is a lot more shame, I think, wrapped up in that kind of binging because it just feels really dark, doesn't it? Because when you're, when you, because, because if you go down that route, you're at like the four in the morning, do I get more? And you want more, but it's four in the morning and it's like, don't be ridiculous, but you can't your brain's so wired at that point and wants it so badly um, that, yeah, and then you just know that around that corner, there's just the worst come down ever and hangover and all the rest of it. Um, and yep. so my, my last night was really 
um, was really similar um, to yours. And uh, I just feel when you say you just woke up and you just you just couldn't do it anymore. It's exactly how I felt, and it was the worst day of my what felt like my life at the time but obviously and I'm sure you agree here now I think thank god for that day because I wouldn't be here I wouldn't be here I wouldn't wouldn't be three and a half years sober and I wouldn't be also helping so many people to try and face their relationship with alcohol and I just I think that is a gift um so it's it's nice to have that positive uplift to come out of it and yeah. so you mentioned um, some great resources there. So the, the one year, no beer. I also, um, I didn't do a program, but I was definitely um, following them on social media and sort of that, you know, listening to a lot of podcasts as well, because they do their own podcasts, don't they? What what else did you do to get sober? So I think education is such a massive part of it, to be quite honest. Um, so I read This Naked Mind And then from there, she talked about a book called Liminal Thinking. So then I read the book about liminal thinking. Then I read another book called 10% Happier by, uh, I think he was a news presenter in the US, a guy called Dan Harris, I think it was. So I read that. I was listening to the Soberful podcast. I think that was at at that time. So that was really good with Veronica Valley and Chip Summers. Yeah, that was really good. So I really just like immersed myself in all of this knowledge that was available uh, and you know like it gave me access to seeing like oh actually there's a ton of other people who were doing this right like I'm not the only one at the same time like whilst reading those things it was an opportunity for me to start reflecting on my own drinking behavior and I'm sure this happens for everyone right but I like I when I when I was reading this naked mind like I started thinking about like all of the things I'd done in my life that I'd regretted to a degree right or that I'd wish that I thought are like very irresponsible or stupid or wish it hadn't happened the common denominator was alcohol like each Mm. and every time and that was a bit scary and I was like wow this is really quite enlightening like everything that I have you know got a lot of thoughts around started alcohol was involved in there somewhere so reading listening like doing my own work I then I started doing journaling for myself as well because that's as like through personal development that's something a skill that I learned to do so I started doing that and really being curious with myself about what was going on so yeah I think that was how I got sober really and also just keep reminding myself like I don't want this in my life anymore like I've had enough of drinking and yeah. I think a massive moment for me was within those first three months is we went to a party in the town. Um, it was someone else's birthday or whatever. And I wasn't drinking, had no intention of drinking. I, I remember sat, I sat down for most of the night speaking to somebody who was pregnant at the time. So she wasn't drinking earlier. So I remember how I think I had an alcohol-free beer. They were a huge part of the process in stopping drinking as well, to be fair and yeah and then I went and stood by the dance floor and I didn't really like the music but then it's about half 10 11 o'clock at night like they started playing some old school music which I loved and I spent most of my youth dancing to and at this point everyone's completely plastered anyway Uh, so I just started dancing and I just really just let myself go like my arms were up in the air I was like really going for it stuff yeah and it was it was such um it actually makes me have goosebumps now like it was such a defining moment yes. for me just to show myself like oh well, I didn't die like nobody else really gives <laughs> yeah. a shit I and I move. had a lot of fun yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah that's um that is because a lot of people um when they message they've got an event coming up like a wedding or a barbecue or something that you know is pushing them out of their early sobriety comfort zone and and yeah. you know what and I'll say I mean to be honest I'll say quite often try not to go on these things in the very beginning because you know you need to arm yourself with all this education first really to get a good foundation but you know if you do it you know sort of do these things like the typical things like uh, make sure you've got a drink make sure you've got exit strategy da, 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 da. but one of the biggest things is I say do you know what you will probably have an amazing time because you'll be aware of enjoying conversations because they're interesting and not because you're just 
talking on your own agenda or in my case I was really bad at dominating conversations or over talking and being probably quite annoying I thought I was being funny but I was probably quite irritating but you know you have these like lovely moments where you think oh actually you know I'm enjoying this conversation or I really like this person that I've just met because we've got a lot in common or the dancing one like you just mentioned that is huge isn't it I think the first time I was dancing the first five minutes I felt everyone was videoing me (laughs) because you just think everyone's but no one's looking at you everyone like you say is drunk or falling over or you know staggering about and to actually like get into dancing and you know when you're sober it just feels brilliant and yeah it's those moments are just pure gold aren't they when you have them yeah because you're you're like you're getting into your body you're getting out of your head like you're not thinking you're not over analyzing like there isn't room for judgment like so when you're dancing you're just like flowing man like it's really quite powerful yeah and it was funny because I went to a um a 90s concert um here locally a few well maybe it was a couple of months ago now and I went with a friend and we took the kids and as soon as we got into the event it was a massive event it was outdoor as soon as we got there I said right let's go straight to the front and start dancing that was it I just wanted to go straight to the front and start dancing because why not what else are we there for and it was a a, a funny moment for me because obviously and you know say this with no judgment because I I, I don't like bashing drinkers at all it's not what it's about but I looked behind me and there were just thousands of people thousands of women actually because it was a kind of ladies night sitting drinking on you know chairs or rugs and um and and there was a just a small you know mainly the kids were at the front and a few adults and us and I was just thinking god the difference you know I know that a lot of those people will be drinking till they feel confident enough to stand up and that then around sort of nine people started to filter into the dancing zone but it just felt magical for me it was like a small gain that I could just go to that event and go straight to the front and enjoy the music straight away I didn't need anything to pull me into the zone I was already there um and then you know to be honest half nine I left anyway because I've got to get the kids in (laughs) bed and I go to bed at 10 (laughs) yeah exactly yeah that's so good right like you don't have to deny yourself fun through stopping drinking like we've just got to like overcome our own self-limitations yes and what's cool is that you probably got up there terry and you gave permission for other women or or guys whatever to actually start dancing as well because like you notice that don't you like we're always waiting for somebody else just to get things started at a wedding or a party or whatever (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely and yeah i think you're right and I, i do think that it it was a it was a strange experience in the I, you know, I I was, you know, I'm the same as these people, you know, I'm just human being, but there was a big thing dividing us. And it was, I think a lot of it was that sort of confidence just to not really give a shit, just get up and dance, like, don't care what you look like, just enjoy the music and just get into the moment and make the most of, we're only going to be there for a couple of hours make the most of every minute um and you know rather than sitting for two hours drinking getting to the point where it's all starting to get fuzzy and then getting up and you know not really remembering the last part of the night or yeah not really feeling that energy you get when you dance and you're really into something so it it was yeah was was really interesting um so the first hundred days, then um, obviously you had that event, and that was a that was a, a kind of light bulb uh, moment. Can you describe what it was like for that first hundred days? Especially, I guess if you were journaling, you might you might have some of that sort of uh, you know written down on paper. How did you how did you kind of get through those first hundred days? Yeah, so I mean that dancing thing was probably towards the end of those hundred days, but. <laughs> Uh, like, it's funny because you asked me how were those those first hundred days and my brain's like oh dark like really bad <laughs> and I don't necessarily think it's true but I do remember them being quite challenging because as I said we just got a brand new puppy I had a one-year-old baby and like a, a, a preteen, and it it was it was difficult if I'm quite honest because I stopped drinking, but we were crate training at the same time. So I found I was actually sleeping on the sofa on my own because like the, the, 
but for about 10 days or seven days, I can't remember exactly because the puppy was there as well. Puppies are mental, right? Like they are, they're like toddlers. Like they're, they're ready to go and do all the things already, right? Like there's no, no sitting idle. The baby bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like they're just like on the go constantly. So I mean, obviously I was having a lot of, I was withdrawing from the alcohol. Like I was, I would say I was pretty fucking moody a lot of that time, to be honest. I was very snappy. I was very kind of like reactive to things that were going on, like easily frustrated and like I look back with a lot of compassion, right? Because it makes sense that I had been feeling like that because I was making what is a significant change in my life. Like I'd been drinking for 20 years or whatever, like consistently pretty much. Yeah. So, yeah, they were, they were <laughs> tough, I would say. Uh, although I didn't find the cravings or anything like that tough because I just, I just knew that this isn't what I wanted anymore. And because I was journaling or actually the same guy recommended the book that I read, like I spoke to him a month or two and he was, he's like, man, you look rough. <laughs> um, and I was, cause I think my level of self-care had probably dropped at the time as well. I wasn't necessarily looking after myself in the best way possible. Um, and then I was journaling, as I was saying, and I, I started journaling and thinking about things that I wanted. And I started remember, well, not remembering, but I'd done coaching, I certified as a coach, like four or five years prior to stopping drinking but I'd never done anything with it or wow. in my opinion not enough and so I was like I want to do something with this like I don't want to look back at my life and start regretting this so like that then became a catalyst to like give me a, a different focus yeah so like rather than just like being in this abyss of nothingness and not, mm. not drinking and not going out as much and all that stuff like I had something else to start focusing on which was really important for me and I still had thoughts about drinking. Like I remember in, in my journal, I was reading, like I went, I was walking through town and I saw people drinking outside the pub and I, I wrote this massive rant about wanting to have a drink and wanted to just to get on it and stuff. But like this other part of me that no longer wanted that was much tighter than it had ever been before. So yeah. even though I recognized that I wanted to have a drink, like I knew I didn't want to have a drink at the same time. Yeah. Um, and part of like that hundred days, like not long after that, we then went to Amsterdam for a couple's break. And like Amsterdam, I've been there like six, seven times before and <laughs> not once had I been sober. So again, like I went there and I I went the weekend. And again, I was I was in coffee shops and I was having thoughts about smoking and stuff, but I didn't want to do it. And I and I, I, I didn't I wouldn't say I got through the weekend because I think that'd be a disservice, but like I went on that holiday. And I, I, I managed and I coped with everything that was thrown at me from my own brain, of course. And again, like it just built into my resolve, like showing myself, like I can do this. Like yeah. it's, 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 you know, like stacking up evidence that you can be somebody without alcohol in your life. So whilst they, the first month or two was probably quite tough, like it really started to change after that fairly quickly. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. What what would you say is the biggest gain for you in sobriety? I think the biggest gain for me is purpose. And actually, you know, as I said before, like I'd seen myself as a drifter. I wasn't really doing much with my life. I knew I was very capable. I knew I had a lot of potential, but I, I just wasn't meeting it whatsoever. So stopping drinking kind of like reconnecting with the coaching and all of those things personal development like it it, it started giving me a new outlook something yeah. else to focus on so that's now this all this energy all this planning that used to go into going out and getting smashed and buying drugs and all the things like now I was starting to use it like okay so how can I start to build my business how can I get better at coaching and stuff like that so for me I would say 100% the biggest gain has been purpose yeah. and you know like and that filters down into everything in my life right? like I'm more more present with my kids like I'm more self-aware like look I'm a I'm a human being I still get <laughs> frustrated sometimes but I don't punish myself for it anymore like I'm much more open about what's going on for me so I think that I mean it's such a tough question really Terry because like th there's been so many gains and not all of them have been obvious right you know yeah new friendships like my circle of friends has changed and 
it's funny because like that's again it's one of our biggest fears like well what, who am I going to hang around with and stuff as if like there's no one else in the world to talk to but my my circle of friendships changed as well right but it hasn't been like a dramatic change it's been mm-hmm. like a what, what's the word I'm looking for you know like it's happened over time and it, not, I've not rushed it yes yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's been beautiful yeah yeah no I um yeah it's the same because that's one of the things isn't it the the friendships and the yeah that's a big fear I think when you are thinking about trying to live an alcohol-free life is how will it impact my friendships and will I get any invites um you know and that's that's certainly a big worry when people reach out to me and it's hard to say isn't it because you know, it's hard to say, well, don't worry about it because they might change, <laughs> but that will be yeah. fine. And you'll be really happy about that because that does feel very scary, but you're totally right. It's been the same for me. It's just been a natural progression, really, that some friendships, whilst I still really love those people, I just don't maybe see them as much now or don't socialize as much. Um, just sort of maybe the odd text here or there and making sure everyone's well and their families are well. But then over here, there's some new friendships that have formed that wouldn't have formed if I was still big drinking Terry because I would have put them off because maybe they're not big drinkers or maybe they're completely teetotal. And those friendships just feel so rich and lovely. And, you know, I'm... And also I think you you just... You get more confidence in what you like doing as well. So for me, I, I have to make sure that I've got enough time just for me to do the things that I really like doing as well as seeing friends. I mean, it's a hard juggle because I actually don't want to see friends all the time. I want to go off and paddleboard or do all these other lovely things or crochet or gardening <laughs> So, yeah. and with kids. And, you know, you, you have to find time to carve out all those sorts of things. But I wouldn't have really done that as a drinker because I would have been always too hungover for sure. Yeah. I think it's really important like to do what, what's best for you. Yeah. Like, like everyone else is going to have an opinion, but like really you've got to do what's true for you. And so, you know, like as you, as you said, like I've stopped drinking over three and a half years ago, and something I'm just starting to realise now is that I actually removed myself from a particular friendship group because, like, they were all drinkers, right? Mm. And you know, I just didn't want to be around that in terms yeah. of their mentality and what they're doing and stuff. And and now I'm actually reconnecting with them. Like I'm I'm, I'm meeting up with them. We're doing things, and like they still drink, but like they it's not like they're still good people, right? Like yeah. whether they whether they drink or not. But I just, for me, I knew that I didn't want to be in that environment. I, and honestly, Terry, the drama I had about leaving the 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 WhatsApp group that I was in, <laughs> it was just insane, no. man. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then like, so I left this group expecting like some massive backlash or anything. And, like nothing was said. Like we we just over dramatized so much of our decision making sometimes. Yeah. But I think doing what is important for you like what's going to work for you like really being curious with yourself I think is such an important thing yeah yeah absolutely and so um what would you say was the one kind of toughest bit or what's the toughest bit of being sober and I know that's probably quite difficult it is a difficult question when you're sort of three and a half years in because I, yeah. I, I struggle to find anything that's that tough but maybe just for listeners that are in that early part of the journey what's what's the sort of one thing that you think is the the hard bit you need to graft through well uh I would say for me it was like uh with my partner right because our relate like when we got together we were we were very similar in terms of like liking to go out and drink and stuff and, and that's changed a little bit right but she still drinks and when we initially, when I made that decision not to drink anymore, like it didn't just impact me, it impacted her as well, right? Mm. Because now she's like, well, you know, how is this going to work? Because this is what it's yeah. always looked like before. So there's that like little bit of 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 resistance, like changing identity. And, you know, for me, the toughest part was like standing firm in my decision. So like even when I was getting invitations to drink and stuff like that, or, you know, it, it wasn't 
because she was trying to make me fail, but it's because of, you know, we have, a, we have an idea of what other people are supposed to do based upon what we've mm-hmm. known them to do in the past. So, yeah, like, I think one of the toughest things was like uh, both coming to terms with our new identity and like the, the, the way that that shows up in the relationship. Yeah. And now it works, right? Like she still drinks, I don't drink. And like we, we, we find a way to make it work. So I think that was probably one of the biggest things for me at the time. Do you know, it's a really interesting point that actually, because um, uh, people message me about that sometimes, how do they say, did your partner drink to me? Um, and how do you deal with that? And actually, my husband is not a big drinker. He, he's, he is the uh, true moderator. You know, he has maybe two drinks a year. <laughs> you know, he, he takes it or leaves it, which is just not, it's alien to me. I've never been like that. Um, so it's never really been <clears throat> much of an issue for us to work through. It's not really been any change. So it is fascinating, actually, to hear that, <clears throat> yeah, that, you, that that was something that you had to um, work through. And and how how did you do that in the beginning I mean you stood firm <laughs> I got a lot um, of coaching <laughs> <laughs> I did oh well, I have to like I, I've, it's essential for me like I need to hear what I'm thinking sometimes because like then I get to decide like is that rational is it helpful yeah more often than not no and also you know like it's okay for your partner to still think that you want to have a drink and stuff right like it makes sense but it's about like having your own back like yeah. not not being influenced by others right because it's not just partners but it's other people as well like some mm. people still want you to drink like we know that but that's nothing to do with you that's all to do with them yeah so like it's about taking responsibility for for your own shit basically yeah did you sorry I'm going to ask one more question here did you um in the beginning in the sort of earlier bit of your sobriety did you like try not to have drink around you or did you just accept straight away that your wife would still drink and you just needed to get through those nights like did that change in the beginning I know obviously now you're obviously fine with it and it's not a big issue at all but in that early bit did you want the distraction to be taken away? You know, did you did you want the the wine to go away or? Uh, no. Yeah, so and, you and, it and to be normal. Yeah, like I didn't want to make it a feel. Like I don't want to, you know, judge her for for what she does. Like she gets to do whatever she wants, right? Like she's an adult; she can make her own choices. Um, in our house, like there's alcohol everywhere. Like there's still a bottle of rum that I bought the week before I stopped drinking that's in the kitchen, right? Like I've got two bottles of, I've got a bottle of brandy that I was given to me when I was a baby in the room next door. <laughs> you know, like that's that's the kind of conditioning we get. And also a bottle of whiskey wow. that my brother gave me. Yeah. And so like, I know everybody's different, right? Like I know that some people are going to find it very triggering to be around alcohol still. But like the, in the work that I do is that I, I want, people to be comfortable to be around alcohol still by unlearning the desire so that's like the the key thing is is not just stopping drinking but like rethinking changing your mindset at the same time so that like you don't live in fear of being around people drinking and all the things yeah yeah no that's 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 really fascinating thank you and I know I was kind of prying a bit there but um, nice, and cool. that that comes up quite a lot and I actually personally just don't I mean I'm really open about everything but I just don't have that experience this time round I, I did have a bout of sobriety with an ex who you know w- would drink um, and but I can't really remember that because it was about 14 years ago <laughs> it's a bit hazy now. and it changes right like the first few months like maybe there was a little bit of um uncertainty if you like but like the more that she saw that I was certain in my decision like the more accepting she could be about it right like it didn't leave room for negotiation and then of course over time like you know our brain has an amazing capacity to normalize so like in the beginning it's all going to feel different and weird and, and and you know like uncertain but like over time it starts to change right like people we begin to accept covid such a beautiful example of it like we all went from being scared shitless and wearing masks and like avoiding people within a short space of a few months like that was the the normal thing to do right like you just walk Mm. around in a mask all of the time yeah you know so like time really does help with change and so yeah yeah 
Yeah, no, really, really, really insightful. Um, so what would be your top three tips on um, getting or staying sober? Yeah, so for me, like I'll share something I use with my guys and it's called the three P's of sobriety. So the first one is planning. The second one is practice. And the third one is patience, right? So these would be my top three tips. So planning, right? Think about all the years that you've been drinking, how much planning goes into it, you know? For me, I was in the week, I was already planning what to drink on the weekend and stuff. Like now, how can you begin to uh, put that much level of planning into not drinking? Yeah. All right. Like what, what, what obstacles do you foresee? What strategies can you put in place for you? Like, is it having a zero beer? Is it not going to the event at all? Like, what do you want to believe about yourself with someone who doesn't drink? What are you going to say to somebody who asks you why you aren't drinking? Right. Like, being prepared, like planning for all that stuff makes such a massive difference. The second part of that is practice. Now you've got to put it into practice. The thing is, like as human beings, we learn through repetition, right? Like I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard something hundreds of times and then one day I'm like, oh, fuck, I get it now. That makes so much more sense. Even now, right, like I'm still concepts I'm, I'm I've learned I'm beginning to understand I'm like oh okay that makes so much more sense to me so this, the second tip is like put it into practice the third tip patience right mm-hmm. we as human beings tend mm-hmm. to like instant gratification we want everything now right because yeah. importantly because of how we think it's going to make us feel but I think on this journey, and it is a journey, that's such an important distinction, is like have patience with yourself. Like not everything is going to go the way that you expect. Like I was just coaching a guy before this call and he's doing amazing. He's made a lot of changes. And then he went out for dinner with a friend and his friend was very, he didn't say aggressive, but like kind of aggressive. Like I need you to drink with me because he had some stuff going on in his life. And it like, it threw him off and he ended up having a drink, but then he's reflecting reflected on it and like instead of using that against him he's like using it as a as a learning exercise like oh okay so now I, I I've got a plan in place for if that ever comes up again for me so it's about like having patience with yourself knowing that not everything is always going to go the way that you plan nothing's gone wrong right yeah. so planning practice patience oh I love that I love that and also as well I think um I would add to the patience bit um, don't expect too much too soon as well. I do I do yeah. find that sometimes people that are in those first months of sobriety and they'll they'll message and they'll say, oh, but I feel this way and I feel that way and why do I not feel better or blah, blah, blah. blah. And I'll say, look, three months is amazing, but it's only three months. <laughs> like, yeah, 100%. You've got to give yourself time, you know, you need time, like patience with, yeah, with yourself. It's just yeah, you've got to give yourself time. Um, I, I always think it takes a good year, to be honest, to really settle into sobriety where you're feeling in a groove. That's not to say you're going to feel rubbish for a year because you're going to have many, many, many good days in that year. But just don't, you know, don't put the drink down and think three weeks later that like everything's going to be different because it, it... Yeah, it, it it's such a great time. point. And it, it's so true, right? Like, I remember after three months, like I, I, I knew that I never wanted to drink again. So that was great. But I also had this belief that stopping drinking alcohol was magically going to change my life. Yeah. And maybe that might happen for you. <laughs> but like what it, what it did actually enable was for me to start really deciding like what's important to me. What do I want to yeah. do with my life? Like how do I want to show up? Who do I want to be? Right. Yeah. That's, that's the beauty of sobriety is like you, you kind of like get a little bit of you can begin to get clarity about who it is that you want to be, what you want to do with your life. But yeah, patience. I I, I totally fell into that trap as well. I was like, why is it my life different now? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Part of the journey. But you think about how long it takes to get to know somebody, you know, it takes months, years sometimes to get to know another person, really know them. You have to give that to yourself as well. Like you're not going to learn who you are overnight you need that time uh, yeah and so let yourself be a beginner at it right yes. like it's it's, yeah. it's almost like being sober is like learning a new skill yeah absolutely and like if you're learning a new skill like 
if your child was learning something new, like how are you going to talk to them? What are you going to, yeah. words of wisdom are you going to offer, right? Like how can you yeah. give that to yourself? Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, really like that. Um, so we are pretty much at the end. Um, how can people find you, Patrick? Yes, great question. I think the podcast, as you mentioned, go to any google search i guess and look for the alcohol rethink podcast i know it's on spotify itunes all the things you can also find me on instagram as the alcohol rethink project and you can visit my website patrickjfox.com oh fantastic i have absolutely loved today's show thank you so much um and yeah really looking forward to listening to more of your super podcasts in future so keep up the great work Amazing. Thank you so much, Terry. Been great. And and guys and girls listening, like just remember wherever you are right now, it's okay. Oh, what a nice way to end. It is. It is okay. Thank you, everyone, and see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at Sassy Sober Mum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.